0: Glad to have you all here and glad to have our listening audience from KFUO. So, this morning I promised you we were going to do something different. And so, what we're going to do is this. The title of this lesson would be How Does God Reveal Himself? And we're gonna trace some of the ways that God has revealed himself. And we're gonna hit the highlights, just the highlights between Genesis and Revelation. So, gird up your loins and get ready. You'll have to look up some Bible passages and uh, some of the things may not make sense until the end. Okay? But that's what we're going to do. All right, so we're going to start in the Garden of Eden. And of course, God revealed himself there, and Adam and Eve were able to see God face to face. Face to face. They walked with God. Now, the reason this was possible was there was no sin there was no sin. They had the image of God, they knew God, and they wanted to do only what God wanted. And so they were able to walk with God face to face. Now if you think about the Bible, Genesis starts with Adam and Eve seeing God face to face. Where does it end? With the people of God seeing God face to face. And the Bible is the story of how he got us back. Okay? So then sin came, lost the image, and did not know God, hid from God. And so they could no longer see him face to face. Okay? No longer see him face to face. Sin had entered the picture, and sinful people cannot see the holy God face to face. And so we enter a whole new realm, where God does reveal himself through visions and dreams, but we're going to leave that aside, as I say, we can only hit the high points. And then, we're going to go on in Genesis, and you remember when Abraham was, uh, had been promised by God that his descendants would be as many as the sand of the sea and the stars of the heaven, and then one day, three visitors showed up. Three visitors. And as we read, we realize in Genesis 18, that it was God and two of his angels. And they were on their way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God spoke to Abraham But he had appeared, he appeared as a man, okay? He appeared as a person. And of course, that's when uh, Abraham and God had the conversation about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, if you find 50, will you destroy it? If you find 40, But God here reveals himself as a man. The next major event is in Exodus. Moses has fought an Egyptian and killed him and is fearful for his life and flees into the wilderness. And there he sees on the mountain a burning bush, okay? Exodus three and four, a burning bush. And he goes there and we see both gods. First of all, we see that his holiness is there because you remember he told Moses, take off your sandals, because this is holy ground. And then God spoke to him from the bush. Only he didn't speak to him words of the law. And emphasizing his holiness, he said, I have heard the cries of the people of Israel and he was going to save them he was going to bring them out of Egypt, okay? So he revealed himself as a savior, a rescuer, okay? But still holy, and this is where he reveals his name. Moses argued several ways that he really didn't want the job, I really don't want to do this. But his last argument was, if I go and do this, how? Who am I to tell the people who sent me? And that's where he says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And that name, of course, is also uh, translated Yahweh. And it was considered such a holy name that the people for many centuries in the Old Testament would not even speak the name. It was too holy. But God had revealed himself as a savior. Now, Let's talk about the fact man had destroyed God's creation. He had brought sin and destroyed the entire creation. The entire creation, which God says was very good, was now corrupt and very imperfect. And at this point, God is faced with a decision. Am I just gonna walk away and leave it the way it is? Am I just gonna leave him in sin and leave it the way he is? the way it is. That was an option. But we began to see here that God has chosen not to do that. Not to do that. God has chosen to reveal himself out of grace he's going to reveal himself to sinful people. He didn't have to, but he decided to do it out of love and grace. He decided, I'm not going to leave it the way it is. I'm going to save the world From what they have brought, and he made the decision. Did we deserve it? Absolutely not. But he decided to do it by his grace, because of his great love. And so we see that here on from the, as he speaks to Moses, from the burning bush. He has revealed himself as a savior, okay, as a savior. Now, sometimes he does that, sometimes he doesn't. Then we come to Mount Sinai. And this is the description. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die." The vision, what they saw on that mountain was absolutely terrifying. Don't let God speak to us, or we will simply die. And so we began to see already that God's revelations can either be like the burning bush and God telling Moses I'm going to save the people, or they can be like Mount Sinai and it terrifies the people. And as we look at the revelation, when God reveals Himself, many times it's one or the other, sometimes it's both. It's either law or it's gospel, sometimes both. That's how we deal with God. Um, I was on the faculty at the seminary when Norman Nagel was there. Some of you may remember him. He was a great man, a great teacher, but he terrified the students because he was very eccentric. So we were in a theological interview one day, and there were I was there, he was there, and another faculty member. And uh, we said, Dr. Nagel, it's your turn to ask the first question. And that the students had to pass these interviews to graduate. And so the first thing he does is he takes a New Testament. Greek New Testament just throws it on the table. And then he does this. And he stays there about 30 seconds. And finally, he says to this poor student, how does Luther do God? Well, that kid talked 30 minutes, didn't say a thing. He didn't know what to say. And finally, at the end, when he was all done talking, Dr. Nagel simply said, all I wanted you to say was law and gospel. Because that's how Luther does God. You either deal with God on your own under the law or you deal with god he deals with you through the person and work of jesus christ so his his god revealing himself is not only god's choice to do so out of his grace but he also reveals himself as law and gospel But he wasn't done there. So while Moses is up on the mountain, God gives him the directions on how to build the tabernacle. Okay? It's in um, Exodus 26 to 30, all the details of how to build the tabernacle, because Because God is going to tabernacle among the people. He is going to come and be among the people. And of course, they built the tabernacle. We'll get to that. But one of the interesting things that happens as uh, after he gives them the directions on the tabernacle is, Moses asked to see God. He asked And God told him, you cannot see my face. See, sinful man cannot see my face. But I will put you in the cleft of a rock and I will hide my face and go by and you can see my back. You can see my back. So Moses saw God from the back. He was in the cleft of a rock. And you should remember that every time we sing, rock of ages, cleft for me. That's where it comes from. But he saw God. Now, God's a spirit. So God had to make himself look like a person for Moses to see him, okay? But he allowed Moses to see him. So they built the tabernacle. And now we come to the last chapter uh, of Exodus, where the tabernacle is built, and they've dedicated it, and um, then Um, He's dedicated it, and then, this happens. Now, well, a little for Remember, when they were in the wilderness, there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that led the people in the wilderness. Okay? When it moved, they moved. When it stood still, they stood still. But this is the description of what happens when the tabernacle was um, dedicated. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. God showed himself in what's called a theophany. The cloud, the fire, was the presence of God. That's how he revealed himself. Only in this case, it is both law and gospel. It's law from the standpoint that when the cloud and the fire descended upon the tabernacle, nobody could go in because of the holiness of God. But he went he came to them in a pillar of cloud and fire and rested on that tabernacle to remind the people he was always with them. That's gospel. So the holiness of God can't approach, but he is with you always. Okay? So, He was with them in presence, power, and holiness. Of course, when He descended on the tabernacle, He descended on what's called the Holy of Holies, which is the back third, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And they had built the Ark of the Covenant Just to his specifications, the top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the Mercy Seat. The Ark of the Covenant had to be carried on by poles, okay? By poles. And only the priests could do it. If anybody touched the Ark of the Covenant, they died. Again, reminding that sinful people cannot approach the holy God. Can't do it. And so they would carry the Ark of the Covenant. Now you've read about the Ark of the Covenant, how they were carried into battle and all those things. The presence of God. It was the presence of God among the people. Okay? Both comfort and terrifying. Okay. Uh, we have one case where a person did touch it. David was moving the ark to Jerusalem. This is after they're in the promised land, and they put it on the back of a wagon. And. They were moving the ark, and the wagon jostled, and a man named Uzzah put out his hand to steady it, and he died on the spot. He died on the spot. Which is a reminder, did God tell them to carry the ark on a wagon? No, it was to be carried by poles, Okay. So they weren't doing what he told them to. And that's the case we have of that. Now, then Solomon builds the temple, okay? He builds the temple. He builds a structure for the Lord. David wanted to do it, but Solomon, is the one who built the temple. And then, something remarkable happened, just like in the wilderness, okay? They dedicated the temple, they sacrificed thousands of animals, Solomon said a lengthy prayer, and then, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to God, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Just like the tabernacle, when Solomon's temple was dedicated, the glory of the Lord descended upon him ascended upon The only time a priest could go into the holy of holies was once a year on the day of atonement On the day of atonement the high priest could enter and pour blood sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of Israel that's why it's sometimes called not just the mercy seat, the atonement cover. It's the only time, once a year. How fast do you think that guy's heart was beaten when he went in that curtain? You ever thought about that? But that's what happened. But then the question becomes, what happened to the glory of the Lord when the Babylonians destroyed the temple. And there there is a passage that tells exactly what happened. And it's in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 10. It is a vision. It is a vision that Ezekiel had, and it's in verse 18. He is seeing the temple. He is seeing the glory of the Lord in a dream. He was transported in this dream from Babylon, where he lived, because he had been exiled, back to see this. And it specifically says in Ezekiel chapter 10 Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. That's when the glory of God left the temple, Solomon's temple. That's when the glory of the Lord left. Then the temple was destroyed. Fast forward, in the book of Ezra, we read about the Babylonians coming back, okay, from their exile. The Israelites coming back from Babylon, their exile. And the first thing they do is rebuild the temple, okay? And in Ezra, you can read about the dedication of the second temple. The dedication of the second temple. But there is one thing absent from that event. The glory of the Lord did not descend on the second temple. It did not, there is no account of the glory of the Lord descending on the second temple. Now, certainly it was their place of worship. It's still standing when Jesus comes, but the glory of the Lord never descended on the second temple. Okay? Never descended on the second temple. Now there's a reason for that. We'll get there. Okay? We'll get there. So we get through all the Old Testament, and we come to Malachi, the last prophet, who says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Saying the Lord himself is going to come to the temple. And that's exactly what happened. On the day Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus into the temple for the rite of purification after 40 days. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The glory of God did not descend on the second temple Because the glory of the Lord was going to come to that temple in the person of Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ. That's when the glory of the Lord came to the temple. And so, we come to Jesus. First thing, we read from John, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, John 1.14. The Word became flesh. And of course, we know that to be Jesus Christ. The Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. A very interesting thing about the Word dwelt among us the actual word is he tabernacled among us. He tabernacled among us, drawing us all the way back to the Old Testament, when the Lord tabernacled with us, with the children of Israel, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, now he tabernacles with us, in the flesh. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus would teach and remind everybody of this. Uh, a good passage is John 14, 6 to 9. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what the Father is like, look at Jesus. Now, we have this image sometimes that the Father's in heaven and he's really hard to get along with and he's a vicious judge. This verse says that's not true. If you have seen me you have seen the father that sent me. The father has the same love for us as the son. The father wants to save us just like the son. In fact, he sent his son for the specific purpose of saving us. Now, we talked about the fact that he suddenly came to the temple, all right? But it goes farther than that, because we read in John chapter two, where he's in dispute, and he says these words, and you will recognize them. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up He is the temple He is the temple And it then says he was speaking of his body And the disciples did not realize it until he had been raised from the dead. Their objection It's taken 46 years to build this. They weren't even done with it. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. He was the temple. He is the temple. Jesus Christ. We can see the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus Christ. For instance, the priest could not enter the Holy of Holies, except the high priest could enter one time a year on the Day of Atonement. Nobody had access to God. Nobody had direct access to God. Nobody. And yet, what does it say when Jesus died? The temple curtain was torn in two. The temple is now open to all who believe, because of Jesus Christ. He made it possible for us to come to God. But it's not quite over yet. We need to continue, and of course, Jesus fulfilled many things like this. But then we get to Revelation 21, verse 22. And again, this is the revelation of John. And he says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. They are the temple. God is the temple. Okay, God is the temple. And again in 22, verse four, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. We started with Adam and Eve, seeing the face of God in the Garden of Eden. We end with, and they will see his face. We did, by nature, not even want to know God. That was the effect of sin. We didn't want to even know God, and we do not know him when we are born into this world. He must reveal himself to us. There is no other way. He must reveal himself to us. By his grace and mercy, he does so because he doesn't have to but he does it from his grace and mercy. Even though we destroyed his creation in sin, he still reveals himself to us. And not only in events such as a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire or a burning bush, he does so by coming himself and becoming man, and showing us himself in his Son, Jesus Christ. He reveals himself in both law and gospel. He reveals himself as the Word made flesh, and he doesn't have to do any of it but he does it all because he loves us and wants to save us. And that's the kind of God we have. And that's why Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the father that sent me. All right, I did all the talking. That's a brief, 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 summary of how God reveals himself. Questions, comments? Bud. Sacraments, what about the sacraments? Okay, that's another way God reveals himself. He reveals himself, we know through the written word, but he does so in baptism because when a baptism takes place, it is God doing the baptism. It is not a pastor, it's God doing the baptism. Does not depend on the parents, the child, the pastor, it depends on God. But he truly reveals himself in the sacrament because you receive his actual body and blood in, with, and under the bread and the wine. So you can literally say, when you take the sacrament, God revealed himself to me today. He revealed himself to me today in bread and wine, body and blood. And he revealed himself to me as my Savior, as the one who forgives me all my sins, as the one who gives me everlasting life, as the one who strengthens my faith, he revealed himself to me in the sacrament. Okay? So God can reveal himself in many ways. We can't determine those ways. God determines those ways. And just as we think we all got get it figured out, he does it another way. Okay? That's the way he is. Well, yeah, that's the Trinity. Yeah. Okay, other questions? Yes, sir? Well, they saw his human face, but nobody can see his glorious, holy face until we get to heaven. No. I mean, they saw uh, his glory shown, but they still did not see the face of the Father, the glory of the Father. Okay? And even then, they didn't see all the glory. They only saw as much as they could stand. Okay. His total glory would have consumed them. Okay, they'd have been gone. Yes. Okay. Maybe there's not a good answer, but fortunately, we accept this on faith. Yeah. But when you're talking to a non-believer, it looks like God revealed himself very differently to the people in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. Is there any, is there any reason stated within the Bible why it's different? The revelations seem to be quite different. The revelations are different. Um The point is not the difference, the point is that God chose to do it in the first place. But He only revealed Himself totally. All those appearances in the Old Testament are a foreshadowing of Him coming Himself. They are a lead-up to Him coming Himself. but. Uh, to distinguish and say you can't say God didn't reveal himself in the old testament are they different than in the new yes because only jesus christ was the perfect if you will appearance of god in our midst in our midst yeah and back to the transfiguration if if Here, Peter, James, and John had seen the full glory and holiness of God, they'd have died. He allowed them to see it, but it would be a special dispensation, but they still had not seen the full glory and full holiness of God the Father face to face had not seen it. Anything else? Yes, G. Yes. Remember when Moses used to meet with God in the tent of meeting. Even though God was not seeing him face to face, when he came out of the tent of meeting, his face glowed. And he had to put a veil over his face until the glow stopped. So, even being in the presence of God at all is magnificent, is magnificent, when God allows it, okay? All right well, I hope you enjoyed that. Now, next week, we are going to not, we are not meeting next week because of Easter, and the class will resume the week after. All right? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.